Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 419th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Coming at you on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting across the world in this, our ninth year, from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And this is the place where technology meets entertainment. Now, there are huge changes occurring in medicine today, and this is led by the gene editing revolution. I don't know whether you've heard about it, but I started talking about it about, (coughs) excuse me, about, I don't know, four years ago or so with discovery of CRISPR. And ever since the discovery of the structure of DNA in the 50s, scientists have been working on rewriting the code of life, your DNA. Now, what if we could correct genetic mutations that cause disease and as a result, radically improve human health? (coughs) Mm, I've got a frog in the throat. Harnessed from naturally occurring immune system that bacteria use to defend themselves against viruses, what CRISPR does, it's a revolutionary once-in-a-generation tool that offers the real potential to quickly and efficiently achieve what was once thought impossible. What it does is it goes into your DNA and works like editing a film. You cut out the bits that are damaged or diseased and replace them with new bits and uh, having great results. Since 2012, CRISPR technology has been adopted rapidly, transforming basic research, drug development, diagnostics, and agriculture. In the past seven years, over 15,000 papers containing the term CRISPR have been published, and hundreds of different organisms have been edited. CRISPR has become a mainstream topic of conversation and the standard genome editing tool used globally. As we move into a new decade, it's clear that CRISPR-based applications will help us tackle societal changes, including disease, food production and environmental sustainability. For many diseases, like Huntington's and Tay-Sachs, and that is a rare disorder that uh, progressively destroys nerve cells in the brain and also in the spinal cord. We know the gene that causes the disease, but so far we haven't been able to change it. But now, thanks to CRISPR, we can shift the paradigm entirely. Sickle cell research at the Innovative Genomics Institute and elsewhere shows we can proactively mitigate or correct the mutation that has caused these illnesses. So gene editing treatments for many diseases are beginning or will soon enter clinical testing. The gene editing revolution has led to a rapidly growing CRISPR economy and over the next decade, the technology will likely produce tangible and potentially wide-ranging treatments and cures for a bunch of genetic diseases. For all the promises of CRISPR, ensuring responsible use is a challenge. 
almost a year ago. You might remember this had made front page news. Huan Ki shocked the world by revealing that he had edited the embryos of twin girls. It was a medical unnecessity that radically broke the global consensus that CRISPR should not currently be used in making genetic changes that can be passed down to future generations. He really shocked the, sh the system. And the scientific community responded by redoubling efforts to establish stronger safeguards, encourage a more deliberate approach and deepen public conversation about responsible use. It would mean that you could genetically engineer any person. The World Health Organization is now pushing government regulators to act. We need compliance, not a moratorium, as the former invites conversation, which is critical since interest in editing the human genome is not going to go away. Now, during CRISPR's early years, which are now, the focus will be on four fronts. Firstly, expanding the types of edits that can be made. Secondly, focusing on advancing the safe and effective delivery of CRISPR genome engineering tools. And thirdly, work through the first wave of Food and Drug Administration approvals. Finally, we need to increase the exploration of naturally occurring fine-tuned CRISPR-based editing to improve accuracy. So it's possible in the future genetic disease will be a thing of the past where we routinely, routinely sequence DNA and treat harmful mutations as an outpatient procedure. But we must ensure that everybody will have access to these new technology and there's a consensus on rules to regulate whether and how this technology is applied to the human genome. So this has got to come from a collaborative effort by scientists all around the world and governments, of course, and it includes increased private and public investment, more commercial partnerships to reduce financial risk and stale the technology, and the potential and regu regulatory nuance to allow widespread affordable access to safe, effective cures without stifling a technology that will underpin the health of future generations. CRISPR is really fantastic. So do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We have about 1.75 million daily subscribers. It takes just, well, I ran into a guy the other day who said, you lie when you say it takes 30 seconds. It takes me an average of about two minutes a day to read your newsletter. So let's say it's two minutes. It's still not much time to get the latest information on a whole range of different subjects from medicine to apps to technology to subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, CRISPR currency, etc. And tomorrow's newsletter is about edible plastic cutlery. 91% of plastic globally is not recycled and around 60% of all the plastic that's ever been produced since the start of mass production in 1955 remains somewhere on our planet. And much of the problem is due to single-use plastic such as food packaging and cutlery. There's companies like Potato Plastic, which is a potato-oriented project, and it's just one of numerous new developments within the edible plastic space. So you can eat your meal, and then you eat your plate, and then you can eat your knife and fork. 
and presto, no plastic waste. How cool is that? Mm, probably tastes like cardboard. But the one media vehicle that you can trust for the latest up-to-date news is the Bob Pritchard newsletter. And to get it, you simply go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and subscribe. It's really easy. It'll take you about 30 seconds. And it'll take the same amount of time to um, unsubscribe if that's what you choose to do. All you have to do is click unsubscribed on the newsletter and you're gone. You know how some emails and some newsletters it's impossible to get off? Well, this one's not. It's easy. Now, information about consumer scores. You know, we all worry about our consumer scores. <clears throat> I know mine's done every couple of weeks and I eagerly watch it to come in so to see what my consumer score is. But there's a secret scoring system called CLV, which is Customer Lifetime Value. <coughs> and this came to light back in 2018. If you own a bank account, a cell phone, or have accumulated even the slightest history of online purchase confirmations, or even Airbnb, you have at least one CLV score. And that score will determine the level of customer support that a person receives. So when you ring in for customer support, they instantly get your CLV score and decide whether you're worth servicing fast or they can leave you on the line. So that's pretty scary. So the less you prove to be a cash cow to a brand, the longer you're going to be on, cold, on hold with customer service. <coughs> it even affects things like getting a loan, a car, when your car's in repair. If you've got a good CLV, you get a loaner. If you don't, you won't. So it's really important. It also applies to seat upgrades on airplanes, which is something I didn't know. So if you've never been graced with a um, an upgrade while travelling, the reason is you've got a low CLV. So until recently, changes to your score and access to those scores was almost non-existent. But privacy scores are changing that. In response to the California Consumer Privacy Act, companies like SIFT, Zeta Global, Customer and a few others have started burying consumer score requests, which would allow customers to have more access. So they're being a bit sneaky. The uh, New York Times reporter, Kashmir Hill, looked into her own personal score with SIFT and found it shocking to receive a lengthy document over 400 pages long detailing every Airbnb message she'd put out, every Yelp order, every Coinbase interaction, 400 pages of interactions that she didn't know that anybody had. And that decided her CLV score. But she has not been able to find out any more information. And most of them claim to provide access to the data they have on you the um, reporter explained that they give you the runaround for weeks before you um, before you actually get it. And ultimately, she only got it from one company. So, wow. You know those scooters and, motorbike and, and push bikes that lined up neatly 
on the sidewalk every night. You wonder how, how they get there, how they're always neat and tidy in a line? Well, people in cargo vans go around every night, pick up all the dead scooters, e-bikes, etc., and charge them so that they're ready for use the next day. These people are called juicers because they put juice in their bikes and things. Some juicers earn up to 50 bucks an hour. And Lime pays its juices $3 to $10 for each scooter collected, reduced, and turned to the neat row on the sidewalk. But there's over 37,000 scooters and e-bikes in Los Angeles alone, and they run into lots of obstacles, like um, bikes that are thrown into gardens and behind locked fences and left in parks and all that sort of stuff, and that eats into the livelihood of the juicers because they've got to get the bike and take it somewhere to get it repaired and then bring it back again. Recent research found that companies were generating $2.43 per mile in revenue and spending $2.55 per mile to keep the scooters running. So they're losing $0.12 on every hire. (laughs) Doesn't sound like a very good business. A big reason for this whole scooter assault is to cut down on carbon emissions, but a recent study found that the average juicer drives between half a mile and 2.5 miles for every scooter he collects, accounting for 40% of a scoot's total carbon footprint. So it's not even solving the carbon problem. My guest after the break is Gabrielle Giancola, and um, Gabrielle is the co-founder and chief executive officer of Quibi, Q-I-I-B-E-E. And this is the Swiss loyalty token protocol that's built on the blockchain. This is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with Gabrielle in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the last seven or eight years, we've given you insights into the lives of over about, I think, 370 or 380 of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked to them about what they do, why they're different, We try to find out what makes them tick. Now, only three out of every hundred startup companies are successful. So what is it that those three people do that the other 97% of people don't do? 
It's extremely difficult to really make your mark in the world today and achieve success because there's just so many challenges and so much competition. And the aim of this segment is to introduce you to people that are involved in interesting and in different roles so that we can find out how they faced their challenges, how they overcame them, and uh, see if we can learn their keys to success. I'm always saying to people out there that you should get mentors. Surround yourself with people that are have been in business, that understand how business works. It's all right to come straight out of college and set up a company, but you really don't understand how the world of business works. I must admit, when I got into international business and started dealing on a global basis, it's quite a shock. It is really very different. My guest today is Gabrielle Giancola. He's the co-founder and chief executive of Kibi, which is Q-I-I-B-E-E. And it's a Swiss loyalty token protocol which helps brands around the world run their loyalty programs on the blockchain. Now, we've interviewed a lot of people um, in the blockchain area on this show, and uh, but never anybody that's doing anything with loyalty programs. Now, Gabrielle is a serial entrepreneur. He's co-founded multiple companies, including Gratis Auto, which is a Swiss startup focused on mobile outdoor advertising. He's also got a mining farm with around 60 miners. The um, Kibi was founded in 2015 and builds on strong expertise, existing partnerships and in-depth knowledge of the loyalty sector. It's a blockchain plug-and-play solution supporting businesses and giving them full flexibility to create their own loyalty programs on Kibi's protocol. Gabrielle, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You are being heard right around the world. Thank you very much, Bob, for the introduction. It's uh, great to be on your show. How did QB get started? Do you have a background in, in loyalty programs? Uh, no, I just used me and my brother, which uh, is, is uh, which co-founded uh, Kiwi. Uh, we just uh, really like to use um, all those different loyalty programs um, from companies, and um, and saw that a big hassle for for not just us but our friends, our family, and, and a lot of other people um, is that you just have a whole bunch of different loyalty programs. You get different points. You don't know on which program do you have how many points. Um, it's super difficult to redeem them. So the the, the problem is really that it's difficult, um, let's say, to be loyal to a company today um, in, in, with, with this kind of with this kind of, of programs because you don't. What we think is you don't get the loyalty back. Of course, you get something back with a point and everything, but uh, the whole value behind it, it's it's not so remarkable that you say, you know what, I want to stick with this company or with this program. So um, what we thought um, in 2015 when we started Kiwi was, okay, one huge um, facilitation of the whole process would be if you just have one app where you get rewarded for multiple brands for different interactions. So not just buying, but also maybe making a post, liking, sharing content of the brand or other activities. So um, the idea started really from there and we came to a point where we were talking to bigger and bigger brands um, where we saw, okay, they want to have their own interface. They want to have their own, um, they want to have their own, uh, let's say, 
uh, branding and, and, and interaction with the customers. So what they were asking us if they actually could have a white label of our solution. And, and, and there we, we started to see, okay, of course we can, we can give them the white label solution, but then we have the same problem as before because they will all have their own white labels. Um, it's cool for, for those customers, but still um, they will have the same problem because they yeah. have to go into different loyalty programs and have different points. Yeah, you so, <clears throat> yep. Right, and at that point, um, uh, it was also, I have to say, th- that situation came up at the same moment as um, uh, as more and more people around those around us, uh, mentor and investors, uh, were, were talking about blockchain technology, about Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so on. And so we started also to look into that, um, into into that new technology. And what we what we saw was actually that we could use it to um, let's say go, let's call it go on the next level. So since we saw that the most people, like if if you look at who reaches the the most customers and and the most people, that are really the, the international big brands. So yes. what we thought is okay, how can we actually bring to the user the same value that we're actually looking for, um, but with their own interface, with their own branding and so on. And what we saw is that if you want to try to connect a lot of different central databases, it is super difficult to, to make them interoperable. Sure. And on the other side, you have the problem that all those brands, they don't really give you a value with those points. They give you a promise that sometime in the next 12, 24 months, you can redeem that point for I don't know uh, a free a free ticket an upgrade or whatever it is. Yeah. And what we see is that if you actually will give the customers the possibility to exchange those points for each other. So let's say you're a huge Starbucks fan and I'm a huge Delta fan. Yeah. But sometimes you fly Delta and sometimes I'd like a coffee. It makes a lot of sense if we two can exchange our points because in that moment when you want to fly and in that moment when I want to have a coffee you actually have the need for my, my point and I have the need for your point. Right. So it makes a lot of sense to, to, to give your customer more options um, on, on, on how to spend those points um, because if the more choices and the more options they have or a customer has, the more engaged he will be with, with a program and at the end of the day with the brand. Um, and more engagement means bringing more revenue to the brand, um, making more word of mouth, engaging more in the sense of social media and 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 then like really exposure of the brand so um we believe in more options for for the customers to bring more uh at the end of the day profit for a brand and um and that's why we why we really moved them to blockchain technology and also built this loyalty token protocol where every brand can create easily their own or let's say can tokenize their own point and um, it can make them then exchangeable for other points. Yeah, okay. So, and, and loyalty programs are being used for so much more than just loyalty on sales these days, aren't they? They're, people use loyalty programs to research new, get feedback on new products, to research the marketplace, to get more um, information on customers. There's a whole bunch of ways that companies use loyalty programs and people in loyalty programs these days. So do you, you combine all of that on on Kiwi? So you have to imagine, you have to imagine the whole um, interface, so meaning also which data you get from your customers, um, that is all on the brand part. What we help out the brand is really 
to put their points on a blockchain and to right. make them interchangeable with others. Right. So th- that is also the, the good, let's say the cool thing for a brand. They have a lot, a lot of control. Or let's say they have the whole control in their hand. It's really facilitating them the, the, the process to create their own token and having some conditions which, for example, they, a brand, an international brand doesn't want to think about um, my token can be listed on exchange and then I have to think about um, demand and supply on the market. I have to think about market making and all the stuff sure. that is connected to having a token listed. So um, let's say there are a few preconditions when you create a loyalty token. And um, and that is actually, let's say, the, 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 the magic behind it, that you, um, with a, let's call it with a click, uh, you can create your own your own loyalty token. And... Um, <clears throat> That is that is what we're actually facilitating for those brands. Okay, how did how did the word <laughs> Kiwi Q I I B E E? How the hell did that come about? You wake up at two o'clock one morning and go, "Aha! I'm going to call this Kiwi." Brainstorm. Right. <laughs> that wasn't how. It no, was. it was actually it was actually it was a bit a mix of um, of uh, like having those flash ideas. And, and then brainstorming and really thinking about with it uh, with a structured way uh, or in a structured way and um, the, the main idea came really from the bee from the animal bee because uh, we all know that it is essential for for the world without bees um, there won't be any 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 humanity in a in a in a in a worst case That's and um, if if you look if you look at companies it's the same thing. So if they don't have any customers, they won't, they won't exist. And um, and so what we saw is that actually you have that uh, that parallel between a bee and between a customer, um, and the key comes really from um, from the from the chi from the energy. Uh, now the idea of energy bee is really comes from that the more, as I told you before, the more engaged a customer is the more energetic at the end of the day he will be and the more um, he will he will interact with your brand. So um, the idea came from there. Then the word itself or how, how you write it came then um, also from, as I told you before, in a structured way, meaning we looked up which domains are still avail- available with that phonetics. Um, and trick. there we had like 40 different, uh, 40 different um, options, how you wrote, how you write Kibi. And we really looked for all the domains. And I mean, nowadays it's, or also a few years ago, it wasn't that easy um, to to just pick up a name and then and then you have that domain because a lot of domains are just uh, are just sold out. Yeah, it's almost impossible. I, I was reading an article not long ago that was written by Harvard, I think, that said that there's every name that we recognise in the English language is taken. There are none, yeah. and that's why the um, the drug companies you you find a new drug on the market, and it's the name is X Y Z Z Y something or another, and um, almost unpronounceable words. Well, they um, they have algorithms that make up new words that sound good that they think people will relate to. What <laughs> <quite> amazing! Yeah. <laughs> so, why? What's the advantage? Of using the blockchain. I mean, without the blockchain, why would it be different? So you have actually, let's say, three main reasons. Two um, are really based on, on on blockchain technology. One of them is more connected to the whole cryptocurrency part of the space. 
sure. um, the two the two um, the two let's call it benefits um, of using blockchain technology for the loyalty space is really the first one is those points are not anymore in a database which can be attacked internally or externally but are in a blockchain Secure, yeah. meaning you as a customer you don't have to worry about points are getting manipulated you don't have to worry about points are getting lost you don't have to worry about points are getting miscalculated or stuff like that right. and there were a lot of cases where you saw that um, companies really um, <clears throat> messed up that process and they had to recalculate the, the points of the customers. They had to maybe give more points to the customer because they were hacked. Um, so that is one huge benefit which you as a company and as a customer have. You have much yeah. higher security. Yeah. Um, second, as I told you before, it would be impossible to make all those central databases if you would have all the points from all the companies on their databases and you want to make them interoperable, it would be an impossible task. With blockchain technology, you just store all the points on the same blockchain. Yes. And there is no, really, there is no problem to exchanging them. So the whole exchangeability part gets really only possible because of blockchain technology. And, and then you have the third part, uh, which is connected to the whole cryptocurrency aspect which is since all those loyalty tokens, so all those tokenized points are backed by the Kibi token, um, you as a customer, you get something that actually has a liquidity and actually has a secondary market, so has a value on the market. Right. Now, we, we made with one of our partners, we made a small survey with around 2,000 people and asked them, what do you prefer? $10 in cash or $10 worth, um, a lottery ticket worth $10? 84% of the people said they want to have the lottery ticket. Why? Because as soon as the amount that you get is so small, yep. you are much more, much more um, incentivized to gamble with it. Because you get something for free, it is not a huge amount, so it doesn't change your financial situation. Yep. And what happens? You're much more prone to gamble. Yeah, I understand. If, if, if you do the same question with 10K, you can be sure that 99% of the people um, will say, I prefer the 10K because that changes most of the people's financial situation. Yeah. And, so, and, and that's why there you see that there, there is a much higher incentive to be engaged in such, uh, let's say, in such a program where you get an upset potential um, rather than having some points where you know the value is really small, you have to earn your life until you get an upgrade. Um, and, and so that's, that's, that's the third part of it, yeah. Yeah, pain in the ass, I know. Um, so, you obviously have um, great faith in the future of crypto. I would say, uh, say I have a great faith in blockchain technology, in crypto, in cryptocurrency, or let's say in the whole crypto market too, yes. Um, I believe that um, at least that it needs some time to, to get to a certain, let's say, um, stable version of it. Or yeah. mature version of it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I got in early into crypto, and um, so I've done very well. But um, I've got to say I'm doing a lot less well today than I was a year ago. <laughs> I can imagine that. I can imagine that one. <laughs> um, so, I mean, blockchain is revolutionizing almost 
every business. I mean, the stock exchanges now are going into blockchain, all the insurance companies, the banks, just about everybody is going into blockchain technology. Um, so are you the first? Are you the only guys in loyalty programs using the blockchain? I haven't heard of anybody else. So there are a few other um, companies working in the uh, loyalty blockchain space. They most of most of them they focus on building one. Let's say what we had, what we built in 2015 on the blockchain. Right. So uh, an application where you get incentivized from um, from different brands with one token. Um, what I told you before, we don't like. We don't believe. We made our experience on the field that we saw. Okay, as soon as you get to a certain um, size of the brand, uh, it's super difficult to sell them some of your own application. Sure. Uh, I mean, if you have millions of customers, yeah, it works. But that they will that they will use your loyalty program forever. That's 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 another question, and, and that's why um, why we why we build on a completely different layer, and and, and let's say are below the whole application. Um, we don't want to we don't want to work on the application itself. So the the brand build their own interface, they build their own program, they reward how they want to reward their customer. They have the whole control of the loyalty program. What they just use our technology for is to create their loyalty token and to really make those two transactions reward and redemption onto the blockchain without have, having to think about blockchain technology and smart contracts and solidity and, and everything that is connected to um, creating something on the blockchain. So if, if I've got a loyalty program with um, um, United Airlines, for example, and I get points, do, I, do you simply switch those points for tokens? Is that the way that so, works? Um, right. So if, you, if United would, um, would use our, our technology, what yep. they would do, um, let's say they have one billion outstanding points, um, they would start... Uh, they would start Communicating to their customer, hey, we're um, we're changing from uh, from normal points to. Uh, uh, I mean, they wouldn't say we're changing from points to loyalty tokens. They would say we're changing from United points to United coins, for example, um, to make it let's say a bit, bit more sexy. Um, and and then they would explain uh, the customer that actually they can, for example, exchange now those uh, those coins for um, for other coins. Um, they would communicate to the customer, "Hey, now you have um, you have actually a real value behind it, which can go up and down." Um, so they, they would do the whole communication behind it, and there, of course, um, you have to imagine it like that. It's not that hundred percent of those customers that have points are still active on your program. So you're not going there and you're changing hundred percent of the points, but you're really going there and you're changing there the, the points to coins. Um, where the users are active. Yeah, I, I find it's interesting because um, in in America, for example, um, you see very few businesses that will take Bitcoin, for example. Um, in fact, I don't think I've seen any. But mm -hmm. I was in Moscow a couple of weeks ago, and you can use Bitcoins in florists in delicatessens in all sorts of different businesses and yet here in the states um, there's less so are people much more aware and understanding of tokens and coins in Europe than they are in the United States and 
perhaps um, North America in general? I wouldn't even say in Europe. Um, to be honest, what I what I think is it's it's a bit the same thing as with entrepreneurship. You see um, the highest uh, density of entrepreneurs, also like single man entrepreneurs, um, in 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 third uh, in third world countries, because where you have the need to be creative and to change to something that is not standard, yeah. um, there you have the highest use of of, of let's say um, alternative uh, alternative let's call them tools, and the same thing. I, I, I have the feeling with Bitcoin. So um, I'm in Switzerland, for example. And here in Switzerland, everything is perfect. Everything is perfect. Everyone believes in the Swiss franc. Of course, it's a super strong currency. Yeah. So why should we have the need, if not we want to speculate, to buy the Bitcoin? Yeah. Because it is so. it has so much more volatility than the Swiss franc that there is no need for me as a store of value to put my money, my Swiss franc, into the Bitcoin. Yeah, but if I'm living in Venezuela, if I'm living in Russia, if or I'm living Africa. in Argentina or in Africa, yeah. man, I'm so happy that there is a Bitcoin actually. That's right. That's true. You I know what that's, I mean? That's huge. And 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 that's and that's and that's and that's what I think. It's it's a huge it's it's a huge huge potential, and I believe that we are not seeing that much activity in Europe or or in, in North America or let's say in, in more developed countries just because. The need is not yet here. Yeah, and it's it's, so, it's hard for yeah. people hard for people to wrap their mind around the fact that um, you know if if, I, if I've got ten thousand dollars in US dollars, I can actually pick it up and hold it and put it in my pocket. If I've got ten thousand dollars in Bitcoin, it's sitting on some exchange somewhere that I need right. a forty-three number code to get into, and if I lose my code, I lose my money. Um, that's pretty hard for most people to wrap their mind around, do you think? For sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But but that's why, you know, that's why you have more activity in, in these other countries. Because yeah. there, if you don't even get a bank account, of, sure. or if you earn today 100 and uh, tomorrow it's only worth 70, yeah. you think twice about to put that 40, 40 alphanumerical number uh, in your in your account and, and to do that hassle because... Um, you have completely different needs in that moment, right. and you're completely right. With you, with the U.S. dollar, you don't have that problem. You don't have that need. Well, not yet. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. That's why I also said before, not yet, because you never know what happens. You really never know what happens, and maybe you're happy that you had some stuff in in Bitcoin. How How are you in incentivizing customers with crypto rewards that you don't do or can't do or not as appealing as it is um, with traditional reward structure. I think, like, I think the most accurate answer um, is, is really the, the let's say the the behavioral perspective which I gave you before with the survey because um, it, it's really about that let's call it psychological trick. As soon as the amount is low enough, you're much much more keen to gamble. If yeah. I give you one dollar. And, and then I tell you, look, bet with that dollar on A or B. You don't think twice about betting. If I give you a thousand bucks, you think twice about maybe, maybe with a thousand bucks I can do a weekend yeah. with my wife. Yeah. Or girlfriend. So it has much more value. Yeah, or girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the, the thing is really that, that those points that you get from a loyalty program, 
the value of it is so low. Yeah, sure. That you as a customer, if you have actually an upside potential, you're much more happy to get them. Because, I mean, think about, think about the, let's say, the family that flies twice a year. Yeah. They enroll in a program just because they saw the ad, you get 10,000 points, you should register today. Okay? Now they register, they make their first flight, everything cool, they get their points. They see we can get anything with them. They make the second flight, they still see we can't get anything with it. And I mean, if you fly with a family, you won't do the upgrade just for the dad or for the mom in business and the rest of the family stays in economy. So it's like for that kind of a customer. And, and the thing is that frequent flyers maybe make up, I don't know, five, 10% of, 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 a, of, a, of a airline. Um, if you think about the other 95%, they didn't really have a value out of those loyalty programs. Yeah. And there we say, hey, there you can do much more as a company. You can do much, much more as a company. If you give them just a bit more of options, they will be so engaged and so loyal to you that you will really see it in your KPIs, revenue, and profit. Yeah, and and um, got, instead of just looking at your points, you can look at the value of um, Kiwi, for example, on the market, and you can be um, you can be making money without even flying. Where if you've just got a normal frequent flyer program, you're screwed if you don't fly. Right, right, right. So that's I think that that is a huge, a huge um, let's say change in in the whole in the whole um, loyalty factor. Uh, it, like it is. I, I would say we're we're trying to put a new standard for the loyalty market, yeah. um, and and as it is as it is not just creating an app or a website and you want to push it and you want to get users, but putting a new standard for a whole industry which is huge, and which is there for tens of years. Um, it is something big and it needs time, but I really believe that in the next five ten years we will see that that new standard. No, I agree. And I hope that I hope that Kiwi is at the forefront and the <laughs> yeah, I, well, I hope so too. <laughs> so, if if I'm sitting out there listening to this show and I have my business has got a loyalty program, um, should they talk to you guys? I mean, should all brands tokenize their loyalty offerings, or does it suit some types of programs better than others, or some some types of industries better than others? Uh, to be honest, right now we're pretty open to talk as with as many brands from as various, uh, let's say, sectors as possible because um, the idea is to learn as much as possible right now. The, the whole industry blockchain is, is very, very young. Then you have loyalty in the blockchain, which is even younger. Yeah. And um, so you, you need, to, I believe if, if you would focus now on ABC sector, uh, we would waste a lot of potential and maybe um, go behind the wrong sectors. Sure. Because the thing is that we never, let's say, did it in, in our lives to bring loyalty on the blockchain. I mean, we did it for, for the past uh, now maybe 24 months, um, but you don't have the, the same age as the loyalty market itself where you have completely um, standardized processes and, and, and to, to break those processes and to, to make them more efficient. Uh, I mean, it is a change as it is always. Um, change brings a lot of, let's say, chaos at the beginning, and and then then you have a phase where where everything calms down, and then you have the new standard. Wow. So 
uh, I believe we're, we're before the chaos. <laughs> um, there will be a few years of chaos, then it will calm down. And then I would say um, in 10 years, we will have, uh, we will have, seven to 10 years, we will have really that new standard. But the next few years will be not only for loyalty on the blockchain, but for everything that you want to build on the blockchain. It will be a lot of change, and that's why also chaos in a certain sense. It's going to be a very chaotic world the next few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we keep hearing, and I've seen some evidence of this, that um, the younger generation, the millennials and younger, they have no loyalty to anybody, you know. And I don't necessarily <laughs> believe that, but we keep hearing it. Um, so do you have any evidence that tokenizing loyalty programs will appeal to the newer generations that seem to have a whole different um, attitude to loyalty? Um, yes, uh, maybe not in, 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 a, in a direct way, uh, because the thing is following. The, the new generation, um, I mean, I have a younger brother, which is 20, so I, I really know... Um, uh, uh, I know, I know what it means uh, <laughs> dealing with the new generation. Um, or me and my, we are three brothers actually. Co-founder of Kiwi, um, Gianluca, and myself, and then our younger brother, which is twenty. And when we look at him and how he deals with situations, how he acts with friends, how he also, um, let's say, uh, gets incentivized on, a, on an offer or, or on a product, um, it's a completely different decision making because they're used to much faster decisions and they're used to getting much more information in a, in a small amount of time. Sure. I mean, that is, that is one, one, huge, one huge difference that brands need to face. They have so many more options in front of them and they need to decide much faster. So yeah. you as a brand need to convince much faster. And loyalty is still super important because the harder it gets, to get your customer, the more happy you are to have him as a loyal customer, and the more rewarding. Um, because then you don't, right, right, and, and because you don't have to worry about that revenue to go away um, to competitor, for example. So, how do you want to do that with with the younger generation? You can't change them. You won't change their behavior True. because they're built like that. So that is not an option. Now, what can you do? You can just adapt to the whole situation. So that's why I'm telling you, give the customers more options and they will be more engaged. The, yep. the, the same thing works perfectly with the younger generation. If they have, if they have more options with their points, they will be much happier because they're used to having a lot of options. Yes. Yep. And only because of that, they will start engaged with you. If, you. if you restrict them, if you close their options down, that's not what they want to see. Yeah, got it. So... Where's Kiwi in the last in the next five years? Where do you expect to be in five years? Where do I expect to be in five years? Um, I would say that uh, there we will start seeing um, in, in in which direction uh, in which direction the new standard is is, is going and and how our vision is uh, is uh, let's say starting to form because um, over the next few years we want to get as many brands as possible. On, on our protocol and of course develop our product more and more and more um, so the idea when I see out in five years I see a lot of uh, international and national brands yep. having their loyalty program on Kiwi and um, millions of customers uh, using their loyalty tokens exchanging their loyalty tokens and really having 
uh, much more value out of out of their out of their let's say um, commercial life. Let's call it like that. So I, I believe that there we will see really the the ecosystem um, formed and 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 ready to to scale um, over the next then five to ten years. So um, that we can reach our vision. My bet is that you'll be bought out by Amazon. Um, Gabrielle, <laughs> thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, you can learn more about Gabrielle and Kiwi. It's Q-I-I-B-E-E. -E. And you can find out more about them by visiting Kiwi, Q-I-I-B-E-E.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network right after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the 419th Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Network. And we're broadcasting today back from in our studios in Hollywood after um, we spent a couple of weeks in Australia. Now, this next story is really scary. Hackers have found a way to take over voice-assisted devices like Apple's Siri by shining a laser light at their microphones. So since voice-controlled digital assistants were introduced, that was a few years ago, you might remember, security experts have worried that systems like Siri and Amazon's Alexa were a privacy threat and could be easily hacked. But the risk presented by a cleverly pointed laser light was probably not something that anybody had actually thought of. You know, hackers can take over Google Home, Amazon's Alexa, or Apple's Siri devices from hundreds of feet away, way across the other side of the road, in fact, way down the block by using laser pointers and even flashlights at the device's microphones. They can even open a garage door by shining a laser at the voice assistant that was connected to it. Hackers can also climb 140 feet to the top of a bell tower and successfully control a Google Home device on the fourth floor of an office building 250 feet away. It's pretty scary. So you could be in a neighbouring building and if you've got a laser, you can hack in to the person who's in an office building four, four or five buildings down, providing you've got line of sight. By focusing their lasers using a telephoto lens, they're able to hijack a voice assistant from 400 feet away. That's a fair distance. That's a, if you ever run in a 100-yard race, it's quite a bit further than that. It's a long way. Now, opening the garage door was easy, 
As with the light commands, they could hijack any digital smart system attached to the voice control assistance. So you think it's pretty clever when you drive up your street and you say, please open the garage door, and it opens. But it's not so smart when a hacker can just get a laser light and bingo, open your garage door. Hmm. So hackers can easily switch light switches on and off. They can make online purchases or open a front door protected by one of those smart locks. They can even remotely unlock and start a car that's connected to voice. We're feeling comfortable about our clever little gadgets. And this opens up an entirely new class of vulnerabilities. It's difficult to know how many products are affected because it's such a basic tool. Researchers also discovered two major security flaws known as Meltdown and Spectra in the microprocessors inside nearly all of the world's computers last year. Shares of the chipmaker Intel fell 5% on news of their discovery. The microphones in the devices responded to light as if it were sound. So inside each microphone is a small plate called a diaphragm that moves when sound hits it. This movement can be replicated by focusing a laser beam on the diaphragm, which converts it into electrical signals. The rest of the system then responds the way it would to sound. So this is not the first discovery of a surprising vulnerability in digital assistance. Researchers in China and the United States have demonstrated that they can send hidden commands that are undetectable to the human ear. With the tsunami of internet-connected devices coming into the market, like everything in your house is now interconnected, or can be, researchers say the discovery is a reminder to consumers to remain very vigilant about security. And this is the tip of the iceberg. There is a common sense solution to the light vulnerability. If you have a voice assistant in your home, keep it out of the line of sight from outside and don't give it access to anything at all that you don't want someone else to access. And I'll tell you what doesn't work. It doesn't work to put a piece of tape over the microphone. That does not work. So, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. You know, anybody can be ordinary. There's millions of them walking around every street every day. Ordinary people doing ordinary things and being ultra-boring So if you want to be an interesting person that everybody wants to know and don't want to be normal, do something, you know, push the envelope. Do something different. Do the unexpected. And you'll never know how amazing you can be. You'll be staggered at how much you can achieve. In the meanwhile, have a great week. Continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard broadcasting today from Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. 
Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.